It is a real matchup of the tradition of the Republican Party versus the new wave of it, I guess we would say. But it's very difficult to say if someone has the lead right now. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, October 11th. Today, I'm joined by Abby Livingston to talk about the Republican leadership vacuum in Congress, which couldn't come at a more dramatic time with Israel at war against Hamas. Abby has the latest inside scoop on which Republican is the frontrunner to succeed the ousted Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, and how much this race will delay funding and support for Israel. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Abby Livingston to talk about politics on Capitol Hill. And I'm going to get to how this affects what's going on in Israel. But first, Abby, welcome. There is a leadership vacuum in the House right now after the departure of my Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, it is an absolute vacuum. You've seen a bunch of names of people running for speaker. Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise. But let me ask you, First, is Kevin McCarthy definitely not interested in being speaker anymore? I feel like I saw some tweets the other day where he's sort of, after saying he's leaving and retiring from Congress, he might be open to it. He's kind of hanging around and he's sort of acting like a speaker. It was pointed out to me his Twitter handle is still speaker and he sort of has some of the trappings of the office and he's certainly making sure no one's forgetting he's around and it's having a clear effect on this leadership race, but it is very unlikely he comes back. It would involve getting one of those people who voted to throw him out to change their mind or a different vote count, which is unlikely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that seems like the biggest <laughs> impediment. Yeah. So of the names that are out there, who seems to be right now his most likely successor? I saw Matt Gates, the MAGA puppet master, said Jordan or Scalise would be fine with him. Is that what most people in the MAGA wing of the House caucus think? Well, the problem there is that everybody has that power that Matt Gates has, whether you're a moderate or you're a MAGA. If you don't like the person, you're empowered because the margin is so slim. I think it's mainly, I mean, it's boiled down to Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan at this point. Mm -hmm. Steve Scalise mm -hmm. is the more traditional speaker's candidate. He's raised, I think last cycle, I could have the numbers off a bit, but like $15 million for House Republican campaigns. Being a good fundraiser has always been a prerequisite for this job. Mm -hmm. He's helped count votes as a whip. He's been in the leadership. Jim Jordan has taken a very different tact. He has been one of the greatest antagonists of Democrats. He has not raised money, but he is very influential in MAGA world, and he has the endorsement of Donald Trump. So it is a real matchup of the tradition of the Republican Party versus the new wave of it, I guess we would say. But it's very difficult to say if someone has the lead right now. There are public whip counts that are being published by news organizations. Those are public endorsements from members of Congress. But leadership races are much more complicated than that. Whip counts are much more complicated. You can have competing candidates for an office with different whip counts. And this is where the expertise of politics comes in. I think there's a lot mm -hmm. of armchair 
political junkies who think they could do these things better. There is almost nothing in politics more difficult than whipping a vote because you're having to decide whether the person who has either pledged their support or only implied to have pledged their support is actually with you and going to follow through on that. One of the most brokenhearted politicians I've ever seen actually won a leadership race, but the whip vote was wrong, which meant people had lied to this person. So it's almost Hmm. up there with losing re-election. This is very intense and very tough. And so this is what the Republican conference is going through right now. And it's unclear if either man can get the votes on the floor. That's a really good point. And I mean, honestly, it feels like for Jim Jordan, at least, like the speaker's race and whipping these votes feels like a test for him because, at least in my knowledge of him, he feels like much more of a firebrand and a bomb thrower. Is he known for being able to play the inside game? I mean, is there confidence that he can be a guy down the road who can raise money, whip votes, negotiate with the Senate, negotiate with the White House, because at first blush, it doesn't seem like he is that kind of guy, whereas Scalise has much more of a insider reputation, at least compared to Jim Jordan. I think it's a very open question. I think, you know, Jordan could play a huge role as speaker during if there is an impeachment. The thing, and this may not be the most important part, but it's the one I care Mm -hmm. about because I like campaigns the most, is the impact on the NRCC and the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is a super PAC aligned with House leadership, and Mm -hmm. whether or not Jim Jordan can directly or implicitly raise the kind of money Kevin McCarthy has been raising, which for all of his flaws... Kevin McCarthy is a very good fundraiser. So Mm -hmm. how things look a year from now is really my greatest curiosity, but that may be just me specifically and less about major issues coming down the pike that will happen before then on the policy front. One more question before we go to a quick break. The temporary speaker is Patrick McHenry. Mm -hmm. He got some notoriety last week for kicking Nancy Pelosi out of her private office on the Capitol. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's been... In and around leadership, he he's about as establishment as it gets while also being pretty conservative. I mean, he used to work for Karl Rove. He came out of the college Republicans. He worked on the Bush campaign, North Carolina guy who wears a bow tie. Is there any conversation that he could be like a fallback option for speaker if none of these other guys work out? Or does he have too much of that establishment smell on him? I wouldn't say it's a conversation at this point among the people I'm talking to, but it's absolutely in the back of people's minds. He's got two things going for him. He is a policy guy. He's a chairman on the House Financial Services, but he's also been part of the NRCC over the years. I remember interviewing him about candidate recruitment, which is part of the speaker's job. I think the best thing he has going for him is he is at least publicly acting like this is not something he wants, which was exactly Mm -hmm. how Paul Ryan got recruited in. So Mm -hmm. I think that if there is a Paul Ryan figure who sort of emerges after a stalemate, I'd put money on Patrick McHenry, but I also am very reluctant to make predictions hour to hour right now. All right, Abby, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how the world might be thinking about the leadership vacuum and the chaos in the U.S. Capitol. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. I'm talking about Congress with Abby Livingston, specifically who is in charge of the House. Um, Abby, with the current leadership vacuum, obviously they are unable to pass bills. Ukraine funding is being held up. 
And all of this is unfolding, of course, after Hamas attacked Israel, and now Israel is launching a massive war against them. Uh, in response, how is the speaker's race impacting Israel and, and U.S. foreign policy and the purse strings behind that foreign policy, perhaps? I think out of everything, there there was sort of a kind of, oh, look, this is like 2000 and the counting of the ballots, you know, recount sort of feel of this last week where it was like a historical anomaly that's kind of interesting to live through to it got real over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Voices are much more shaky among Republicans, especially the ones, particularly the ones who support Ukraine. Basically, the baseline is most House Republicans are all in for Israel and want to help. And so the question is, does that overshadow Ukraine aid or do they marry Ukraine aid with Israeli aid in order to have people who don't necessarily want Ukraine aid to go along with it? Mm -hmm. But it is a very nerve wracking thing. I've had multiple aides describe to me anxiety about how the world is seeing us right now, both our Mm -hmm. allies and our enemies. This is not a good look. And it, it is a very shaky moment right now. If McCarthy was still in there, what would be happening at the moment as it relates to Israel? I mean, they would probably have already passed a resolution of support. There is sort of one in the works, which is also an interesting pivot point. Um, The House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall and the ranking member Gregory Meeks have put together a a resolution of support that has the support of almost all of the House. Mm -hmm. And I think McCall is an interesting figure here. So he's the chairman of the, the committee that oversees foreign affairs. And he's of the interventionist. He's more of a Bush-era Republican. And with no real speaker, he has sort of stepped into the fold. I don't think he's stealing a spotlight. He's sort of just filling a vacuum. And he's getting out the pro-Ukraine and pro-Israel worldview. So um, it is kind of right now just sort of, it, it almost reminds me of like, your parents aren't home and everybody's kind of having to step up to do things that they're not really used to. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a perverse way, you know, all of the saturated news coverage around what's going on in Israel, you know, it might might be giving some of the people running for speaker time to sort of count votes. In other words, like it takes a little bit of the pressure off because before this invasion, I mean, last week, the news was just roadblocked with coverage of the house in chaos. And now that's obviously not the case. Absolutely. I think what you've got happening is so basically right now, there's a lot of news coming out of the House Republican conference, but not a lot actually happening. We're getting minutia Mm. out, but everything's in a holding pattern until Scalise and Jordan actually face off in a vote. So the Israel story has completely blown the Capitol Hill chaos off of the cable news. And it's also disrupted bookings among operatives and members. Hmm. And a lot of the the infighting takes place on television. I have not been watching Fox News, so it may be a little different there. But it, it is definitely sort of quieting down the chaos for now. But the second there is a floor vote, this is coming straight back to Capitol Hill. And, and there will be, I guess, simulcasts with Israel. Abby, thank you so much for your insight on this. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.